Podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories, and there's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But, do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable? Bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. For tonight's story, I've chosen an episode of The Shadow entitled The Gibbering Things. The Shadow is one of old-time radio's most famous shows. Even modern listeners will recognize The Shadow's legendary catchphrase, Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow knows. Followed immediately by an earful of malevolent laughter. The Shadow hit the airwaves in 1930, not as a crime fighter, but as the sinister host of the Detective Story Hour, an anthology series based on material from Detective Story magazine. The mysterious voice of the Shadow proved more popular than the lurid stories he narrated. Street and Smith, publisher of Detective Story magazine, smelled money and hired writer and professional magician Walter B. Gibson to create a literary version of The Shadow. So Gibson envisioned The Shadow as a dark avenger, clad in a black cloak, wide-brimmed hat, and a blood-red scarf. Utilizing multiple secret identities and a network of loyal agents, The Shadow terrorized the underworld dealing out his own brand of justice, usually fired from the barrels of his own twin 45s. The Shadow magazine ran from 1931 to 1949, and over that time, Gibson wrote an astonishing 282 novel-length Shadow stories. But we're not here to talk about the radio host version of The Shadow, or the pulp magazine version of The Shadow, or the many, many comic book and film versions of The Shadow. Although I will say the Alec Baldwin film version of The Shadow is a highly underrated piece of 90s cinema. Yes. <laughs> Tonight we talk about the classic radio version of The Shadow. This Shadow was a crime fighter like his pulp magazine counterpart, but he traded his firearms for the ability to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Instead of an army of well-trained operatives, he had friend and companion the lovely Margot Lane. The Shadow debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting System September 26, 1937, starring a young Orson Welles as The Shadow and Agnes Moorhead as Margot Lane. Tonight's episode, The Gibbering Things, is notable for several reasons. It was the debut performance of the third actor to play The Shadow, Brett Morrison. Morrison played The Shadow for a season in 1943 and returned to the role in 1945, playing the part until the show ended in 1954. Morrison's first episode was written by Alonzo Dean Cole, legendary creator of the 1930s horror anthology The Witch's Tale. Cole's background in horror is immediately evident in the script. The Gibbering Things is one of only a few Shadow episodes to stray from the crime genre and embrace elements of both horror and science fiction. Let's listen. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Who knows 
what evil lurks in the hearts of men. The shadow knows. <laughs> Once again, your neighborhood blue coal dealer brings you the thrilling adventures of The Shadow, the hard and relentless fight of one man against the forces of evil. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. Friends, here's a very important way that you can help the war effort. You know, it's coal that keeps our war plants humming. Coal that keeps our trains moving. Coal that heats our soldiers and army camps. Yes, coal that supplies vital power and heat to countless wartime activities. So you can make an invaluable contribution to the war effort this winter by cutting your coal consumption to the absolute minimum. Start your personal coal conservation program this simple way. Hold your fire. Don't let the first chilly snap send you down to the furnace. Use the fireplace. Wear warmer clothing. Wait two or three weeks later than usual before starting your furnace. The coal you save now will help the home front and the war front. And it will help you keep warmer in the really bitter months to come. The Shadow, mysterious character who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Several years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret. The hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama... The Gibbering Things. Well, nature puts on quite an autumn show up here, Margot. Yes, doesn't it, Lamont? Yeah. Old New Hampshire's pretty country at any season, folks. Are we nearly at our destination, driver? Almost. About a mile and a half more, we'll be at the Haunted Woods. Huh? Haunted Woods? Yes, sir. Place you've hired me to drive you to is just this side of them. Oh, Aunt Susan never told me that she lived near any haunted woods, Lamont. Uh, Miss Susan Prentice, your aunt, ma'am? Yes, Mr. Cranston and I are going to spend a weekend with her. Oh, that'll be a fine rest for you. Well, those haunted woods don't sound quiet or restful. <laughs> well, they won't bother you none. These flies, I've never been bothered in them. Neither was your aunt or Professor Sergoff. Who lives smack in the center of uh, them. Why are they called the Haunted Woods? Well, it's uh, it's said that quite a few fellas have gone into them woods and completely disappeared. There was two lumberjacks and four or five harvest hands. The shucks, I figure they simply walked into the woods on one side and out the other. <laughs> <laughs> Your logic is spoiling a nice mystery, driver. Oh, I figured a natural explanation for the gibbering things, too. Gibbering. The gibbering things? Uh-huh. Ever so often, the doggondest noise is heard in them woods. A funny, squeaking, chattering kind of noise. Don't sound like it was made by either man or beast. The folks say it's made by things. You figured that it's not made by things? Mister, that gibbering noise is made by monkeys. Monkeys? In New Hampshire. Yeah. Professor Sergoff's got a couple at his place that he's brought up in South America. I admit I don't know how their squeaky little voices can be heard so far away from the professor's house. 
But them monkeys is the only natural explanation. Are those the haunted woods ahead of us now? Uh, yeah, yes, ma'am. That's them. Um... Heavens. What's that? Something screamed in those woods. <laughs> yes, that was just an old screech owl. Oh. Ah, there it is again. Well, screech owls will make their home this far north. They must have been brought up here like the monkeys you mentioned. That's right. Another pet of Professor Sergoff. Ah, here's Miss Prentice's place. Oh, Lamont, what a lovely little house. Uh, I'll uh, get your luggage out the back. Here, let me help you, Margo. Thank you. Uh, step directly on these flagstones. The ground's pretty wet. Well, we had some thunderstorm today. Started early this morning and pulled down telephone wires and raised all kinds of nails. That's so? <laughs> yeah, why, I'd, uh, I'd like to wait and say howdy to Miss Prentice, but as long as I'm out this way, I want to drop off a package at Professor Sergar's. Getting late, and I'd like to be in and out of them woods before dark. Not because of the gibbering things. Well, shucks, no. Just that the road through there is pretty terrible. A fellow wants daylight to get over it. Uh, I'll stop off on my way back from the professor's, see if your aunt wants anything fetched from the village, my next trip. So, uh, so long. So long. So long. You never told me your aunt was deaf, Margot. Deaf? Well, she isn't. Well, she can't be at home, then, after this noisy arrival in front of the door. But it is funny that she hasn't... Aunt Susan! Aunt Sue! Are you sure she expected us today? Oh, of course. Well, the door's unlocked. Let's go in, Lamont. She must have stepped out for a moment. For a long moment. Let's have a look around. You take a peek at the kitchen. All right. Everything here, Spidey? Ship shape? And deserted. Well, the kitchen door's been left unlocked. Well, evidently your aunt didn't intend to be gone very long. Well, what do you suppose has happened to her? Oh, chances are your aunt left here this morning to pay a brief call to some neighbors, and she was forced to stay there by the storm. Oh, I was beginning to think Aunt Sue had been swallowed by those gibbering things in the haunted woods. <laughs> we have Mr. Dorema's assurance those gibbering things are vastly overrated. <laughs> What's that? Well, listen. It's the gibbering from those woods. It's from deep in the woods. Doesn't sound like the chattering of any monkey that I've ever heard. Lamont! Could that be the screech owl again? That cry sounded human. It's like a scream of mortal terror. Lamont, we've been waiting almost half an hour now for Aunt Sue. She'd be here by this time if she were all right. Phone's still dead. The cab driver hasn't come back yet, and it's nearly dark. Let's go outside again and watch for him. All right. He said he wanted to be out of those woods before dark. Come on, that chipper is dead. It's much closer than before. He must have come from just the edge of those woods. And the professor who keeps monkeys lives nearly a mile from here. He's going fainter now. Traveling away. Hmm. Margo, look here. What? And the earth of this flower bed. Tiny footprints. But they've been made by a barefoot child, a baby. Since the rain. How did the baby get out here? These prints were made since I was looking around this garden only a few minutes ago. And their sole resemblance to a baby's is their size. Look closer. No child could walk upright on feet that left these impressions. They're deformed. Yes, I see now. Hmm. So whatever made the footprints didn't walk upright very far. Here it dropped on all fours. Those are prints of little hands. But only two fingers are outlined. What horrible thumbs. These tracks were left by some animals. But what kind of an animal? I never saw a spore like this before. Neither have I. Look, they disappear here in the grass. Margot, someone's coming out of the woods. 
A man? What's he got on his head? It's getting so dark, I can hardly see. I think it's a helmet of some sort. He's carrying a net. A net? It looks like it. Seems to be hunting for something. Ah, uh, hello there. Hello. Who are you? We're about to ask the same question. My name is Sergov. Alexander Sergov. Well, now, he may know. I'm Margot Lane, Miss Prentice's niece, Professor. Miss Prentice's niece? Yes, and this is Mr. Cranston. We just arrived to spend a few days with Aunt Susan, and she's not here. I have not seen Miss Prentice for several days. Was she expecting you and Mr. Cranston? Yes, she was. Uh, Professor, if I'm not too inquisitive, what do you hunt with a net at this time of night? I keep a small zoological collection, Mr. Cranston, and uh, one of my little animals escaped this afternoon, and I was searching for it with my net. Dangerous animal? I see you're wearing heavy gloves. It was a small ape with sharp little teeth that can, uh, what you call, nip very painfully. Perhaps you heard a chattering in the woods a while ago. We heard something gibbering in there. That was my little pet. Is it malformed hands and feet, Professor? Does it leave tracks like this? You did not see it leave those tracks? No, we found them by accident a few minutes ago. The creature I'm searching for is not a perfect specimen. Uh, these tracks are fresh, which means that it is close by, and I'm most anxious to recapture it, so if you will please excuse me. Good night. Good night. Good night. Well, at least we've learned what's behind those footprints and that gibbering. I'm still wondering if that was a screech owl we heard soon after Doremus left us. What for, Leonard? I'm going to get a gun and flashlight out of my bag and do a little hunting of my own in these woods. But... Uh, where's the light switch? Here. Oh, thanks. Well, that's a gibbering camera. It's just outside the house. You know it's only a crippled ace that... <gasps> Margo, what? The face! face is the window. Where? It's gone now. But it was pressed close against the glass. It had no features, Lamont, except eyes and a toothless mouth. It was the face of the gibbering thing. Lamont, turn your flashlight on those trees as well as on the road. That gibbering thing may be in these woods. As I'm watching, Margot. There's only one set of tire tracks in this road, so Doremus traveled it only one way. You sure, Margot, that the face of the window had no features? It was just pink ball flesh with tiny pig-like eyes and, and grinning toothless gums. What could it have been? If you weren't having a nightmare, I don't know. Good Lord, look there. Doremus's cab turned on its side. Come on. There's Doremus. Oh! He's been thrown from his cab against that rock. His head's all crushed. Oh, Lamar. Strange. There's no blood around the wound. No blood? Someone or something has washed it absolutely clean. Look at his throat. Big bruise mark. His fall from the cab didn't do that. No. Looks as though some terrific suction had been applied by something like a giant leech. That thing with the toothless mouth. Lamont, you've got to find out what that gibbering monster is. It may have killed Aunt Sue as well as Doremus. Come on back to your aunt's house. After I see you locked safely inside, Professor Seergoff is going to receive a visit from the Shadow. Why are you so worried, Professor? What? Who is speaking to me? I cannot see anyone. I'm the Shadow. The Shadow? An invisible man? A little secret I learned in the Orient. What do you want here? I shall ask the questions. First, did you find the small ape you were hunting for? 
You know that I was hunting... The shadow overheard your conversation with a Miss Lane and a Mr. Cranston a while ago. Did you find the ape? Yes. What did you do with it? I visited the cages where you keep your pets and found no crippled monkey there. I was forced to shoot the animal. I buried it in the woods. After it had gorged itself on the blood of Doremus? Doremus? You didn't know he was lying dead in the woods? No, I swear I did not, Shadow. I had nothing to do with it. But you know what killed him? No. Don't lie. You also know the reason for Susan Prentice's disappearance. I do not. Her absence will cause an intensive search. She will not be found here. This is a small house. Nothing could be concealed in it. Search it yourself. Luck has been with you so far, Professor. If telephone service hadn't been disrupted by the storm, the authorities would already have been notified and the search begun. The luck of criminals is never good for long. Your time is running out. The police will find the body of Doremus and they'll be told about a squealing monster with a horrible toothless mouth. What? The gibbering thing has been seen tonight. Now you must think and act fast, Professor. You must think and act faster than... The shadow. <laughs> Friends, if you heat your home with coal, listen. Here's some important good news. Your friendly neighborhood blue coal dealer is happy to announce that he already has available, on a first-come, first-served basis, a small supply of automatic heat regulators to aid in the urgent coal conservation program. Now listen to what an automatic heat regulator does. It takes full charge of your furnace operation, giving you a constant, even temperature day and night. It eliminates those wide swings in temperature when it's always too hot or too cold. It saves you those incessant trips to the basement when you try to control the temperature yourself. It helps protect your family against winter colds, which many doctors agree result from overheating or unstable temperatures. And most important, it saves coal vital to the war effort and money for you. An automatic heat regulator costs little to begin with and soon pays for itself in fuel savings. Don't wait for the first freeze. There are just a few automatic heat regulators available. So act now. Call your friendly blue coal dealer and place your order tomorrow. And now, back to the shadow. Lamont, did Professor Seergolf tell you anything when you visited him as a shadow? I didn't expect him to, Margot. A shadow's purpose was to force Seergolf into some revealing action. I'm confident that he'll make that action before morning, but I'm taking no chances. I'm going to leave you again now and go back into those woods. Why? Professor Seergolf doesn't confine his activities within the limits of his small home. I'm going to discover, if I can, where he carries on his major studies. Let me go with you, Lamont. No, I want you to stay here. Lock yourself in the house and don't leave it. I expect to be gone for some time. Oh. I expect to be gone for some time. Fine. <laughs> Screech owl. What's that? Back door. Who's there? What do you... Good evening, Miss Lane. Professor Seagull. When one locks a glass panel door, the key should never be left in the lock. It is so easy to break the glass, reach inside, and turn the key. Why have you broken in here? I just saw Mr. Cranston go into the woods, and I considered this an excellent opportunity to talk with you alone. That gun. This gun will do you no harm if you're obedient. You and I are going for a little walk, Miss Lane, and you are going quietly. <laughs> 
Where are you taking me through these woods? You'll soon learn. Here's our stopping place. There's nothing here but trees and that big rock. Yes, watch that rock. Swinging out like a door. It is a door to a very secret natural cave below. Ladies first, Miss Lane. I won't go down to that darkness. You need not go in darkness. We have electric light here. Step in, Miss Lane. I wish to close my bulky door. No, no, I... Do not try my patience. Go. Now, down these stairs. And you can see my little refuge. Shivering cries. A little welcome for you. These hideous things that make him behind that door. Hideous things? So you saw the little creature that escaped tonight? It pressed its awful face against the window. Don't make me look at it again. You won't see anything to frighten you when I open the door. There's nothing in this chamber except those steel cabinets around the walls, that iron water pipe above, and this heavy rope that dangles from the pipe. You will find the rope of special interest. I call your attention to the snap hook on two cents. No, let me go. As soon as I knock no, these handcuffs no. on your wrists behind your back like this, no. I hook the rope to your cuffs no. like this. Now, I let you go. Nicely tethered. What are you going to do to me? I shall satisfy your curiosity about the gibbering things. You have seen but one. I have many such children. Children? Yes. I am their father, their creator. I am their god. I have discovered the secret of life. Of life? I have evolved a complex life form from the single cell. Nature required a billion years to do what I have done in ten. I am greater than nature. You're a madman. Am I? You shall see. The steel cabinets you see around these walls are really insulated soundproof covers for my children's cages. This lever opens the apparent cabinets. Watch. <laughs> Before you saw the handsomest of my little beauties, now you can look at them again and 30 of his brothers. Hear them squeal their greetings to you. No, let me out of here. Don't be no. afraid. Their cages are strong. They cannot get at you no. now. <laughs> please, please. They're so horrible. Well, I admit that I have not as yet achieved perfection in their appearance, but I progress. <sighs> now, here is my first experiment. It resembles a shapeless sponge, but it's alive. It moves and breathes. Oh, please. And here is a creature that lacks arms and legs. See it bounce its way about? Its brother in the next cage has twice the usual number of limbs. This one has eight hands. That one has no eyes or ears. And there's one with no head. And here's one without a body. But they're all alive, Miss Lane. All can move and fast. All have mouths and appetites, Miss Lane. For human blood. Their only diet. Human blood? Yes, I keep human cows, Miss Lane, and you are to become a human cow and feed my children. Oh, no! That is why you are tethered here. This chamber is their dining room. I shall pull a lever that opens their cages as I go out this door to safety. They're very greedy, but I will not let them drink too much of your blood, Miss Lane, for now you are a cow and valuable to me. (laughs) I leave you now to pull the lever. My throat! You feel the shadow's hands upon you, Sagoff. The shadow. Oh. The shadow is a man would like to close his fingers tight about your neck. As a respecter of the law, he lets you live. Oh, shadow, shadow. Unlock your handcuffs, Hugo. Don't touch me again. I will. Be quick. There. Oh, I'm free. I'm free and I can leave this room. Go where I won't see and hear those awful things. Yes, go. And I'll go with you out that door. Shadow. <laughs> The door is locked and closed upon you, Shadow. The lever that opens my children's cages is on this side of the door, and I release them now. No! No! Uh, no my children no. do not have to see a man to find him, Shadow. Their greed for blood will lead them to you. And they are to have all your blood, Shadow. You will be dead before this door is open. Dead! <laughs> 
It is now half an hour since that door was closed upon our former friend, the Shadow. My children have killed strong men within five minutes, so I think it is time, Miss Lane, for us to view the remains, which will be visible, I imagine. <laughs> but first, I shall reunite you with your aunt. You're my aunt here? Yes, and Fortune escaped and told me of her intention to notify the authorities. Oh. I was forced to add her to my herd of cows. That herd includes the itinerant lumberjacks and harvest hands who have disappeared in the haunted woods. When fools hear their screams of pain, they think they hear my little screech owl. Oh, you... There's no word that catch you. Before I can safely view the dead body of the shadow, my children must be returned to their cages. And my cows take care of that. Your aunt's stall is behind this door. Aunt Sue. Aunt Sue. We'll let her out. Margot. Oh, 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 what a touching reunion. You shall see a great deal of each other from now on, for you will be stable together. My male cattle are in here. Come out, beasts. And don't forget that I hold the usual loaded revolver. Oh, poor man. Yes, my male cattle aren't as healthy looking as you and your aunt, Miss Lane, but they have been here a long time. They're walking. They still manufacture blood. That's all that matters. Fall in line, beasts. You with them, female cattle. No. Fall in line. Oh, come, Margo, come. There's nothing, nothing we can do. You're learning fast, Miss Prentice. Now march, all of you, to the feeding room. You ought to have an easy time tonight. My children have been fed and well. You need only pick them up and return them to their cages. Pick up those things? Yes, Miss Lane, and tenderly. Oh. Unlock the door. Go in and do as I've told you. And you see how tame my cattle are, Miss Lane? You will soon be like them. Hurry in there. Get my pets behind their bars. I'm anxious to come in and and pay my last respects. Your children are in their cages, Master. Ah, now we shall see. I thought the shadow would be visible in death. His mental power is gone. But I do not see him. Can you feel him, Sir Goff? Ah! Shadow! Yes, I'm not an easy victim, Sir Goff. Pick up that gun he dropped, Miss Lane. Something we cannot see has got him. Keep sick after us. Be back, you men. I know how you must hate this devil, but I promise you he'll get justice. Now, everyone leave this room. Everyone but Sirgoff. Everyone but me. You're going to be left alone here. Alone as you've left the others. No, no. Ah, do not put those handcuffs on me. Oh, yes. Lock behind your back. No. No, not that clever rope. Do not hook me to that. The way you fastened others. Yes, he does. Get out of this room, you men. We're leaving Professor Sirgoff with his children. We'll turn the vampires loose on him. No, do not open those cages. Do not turn them loose on me. Please, Shadow, please. You're safe, Sirgoff. The cages won't be opened. Did you say, Shadow, that those cages won't be opened? That Sirgoff is safe? He's safe from those things he created. That room will be Sirgoff's prison until the police arrive to take him to another. Police? Prison. Shadow, you promised us that devil would get justice. He will. But the law must fix his punishment. We've been Sirgoff's slaves. His cattle. Those things he made have fastened on our flesh. They drank our blood. We want no police. We want no law. We want no law. They have no punishment to fit that devil's crime. We'll attend to Sirgoff. And we are. You men have suffered here, but you're civilized men. You must abide by rules of order, not by instincts of revenge. We're no longer men. We're cattle. Sirgoff has made us beast. And there are many of us, Shadow. You are only one. Keep away from that door. We didn't want to open the door, Shadow. We only wanted to lock it. And we have locked it. We have the key. Pull the lever that opens those cages. No. 
Red Shadow. Listen. Seagull's <laughs> children move fast. They've already reached their father. We've given Seagull the justice he deserves. Well, Margot, Seagull's cattle were too many and too quick. But Seagull won't put the state to any expense. Your aunt's safe in her home again. And his children... Those men just trampled them after you finally forced that door. And I'm not sorry things happened as they did. Seagolf was going to turn those gibbering things loose on me. Well, he did turn them loose on the shadow. But, Mark, you haven't told me why the shadow wasn't killed by those monsters. Well, Seagolf made a serious mistake. When he left other victims in that room, their hands had been secured behind their backs and fastened to the tether rope. The shadow was free. One end of the tether rope was attached to an iron pipe near the ceiling. Well, he took a moment to loop the other end with its heavy hook over the pipe and fasten it. And seated in that swing, the shadow was well above the reach of the little vampires. Oh, when you were locked in that room, I was sure it meant your death. Well, one can never be sure of anything, Margot. You know, when I was invited to your Aunt Susan's, as I recall, I had promised myself a quiet, restful weekend. <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Now let me introduce Blue Coal's distinguished heating expert, John Barclay. Thank you, Ken Roberts, and good evening, friends. I'm glad to be back with you again. And this year, with fuel so vitally needed for the war effort, I hope to bring you special information that will help you to heat your home more efficiently and economically. Thousands of tons of coal can be conserved if everyone will give special thought to the efficient operation of their furnace. Operating a heating plant efficiently is easy. And if you will follow a few simple suggestions, you can not only save considerable fuel, but your home will be healthfully heated as well. A clean furnace is number one on the list of important things that will result in conserving fuel. So put your heating plant in good working order. It's easy to clean a furnace. For tools, all you need to do a good job is an inexpensive wire brush and a scraper. You can get these at any hardware store. Why small can of asbestos furnace cement? Add all soot and fly ash. Use the asbestos cement to seal up leaks around the smoke pipe where it enters into the chimney. Make sure that the dampers are in good working order and that all furnace doors fit tightly. Remember, a clean furnace conserves coal, gives you more heat for the fuel you burn, and will keep your family warm and healthful all winter long. I thank you. The Shadow Program is based on a story copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications. The characters, names, places, and plots are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Again next week, The Shadow will demonstrate that... The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The Shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, your friendly blue coal dealer brings you another strange and thrilling adventure in the shadow's daring battle against the forces of evil. Be sure to listen.
This is Ken Roberts saying, keep the home fires burning with blue coal. You're listening to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. And you just heard uh, The Shadow and the episode The Gibbering Things. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. And we have a lot to talk about because um, this hits really close to home uh, as far as uh, love. Shadow. The shadow is, is, is so important in old-time radio. It's extremely important uh, to me and my life. It's the first old-time radio I ever heard on a cassette tape when I was 14 years old. Oh, yeah. and, and that was before the Lone Ranger, which was another big one for me when I was younger. And I, I first heard it when I was in third grade. Like yeah. They would play them Sunday nights. And yep. we're, these terrified me that intro just oh yeah. i would do my best to fall asleep while listening to the green hornet but i kind of wanted to stay awake and hear the shadow but i was terrified of the opening when he said who knows what evil lurks oh, in the hearts of men and the organ it's oh, so yeah. awesome that song and there was and, and i for you know and this is only funny to all of us geeks but for years, I, you know, I, I, for some reason, I always wanted to buy Blue Coal, and I never knew why. <laughs> I was so... Uh, if you don't know, Blue Coal was a sponsor of The Shadow for almost the entire run mm-hmm. of that. And uh, I also found that interesting when I was a kid. Like, why were they buying coal and finding out that they had to have it, you had to have it delivered to your house? And what was Blue Coal? Well, they used to actually just put blue in it, their coal, and pretended it was better yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and i i love these old wartime broadcasts yeah. because it just to wrap your mind around an actual company putting out an ad sponsoring a radio show to tell you to not buy so much of their product yeah, yeah. it's just amazing it just it, you you should just you know dress warmer yeah. <laughs> yeah don't fire it up so fast yeah. we've we've got a war to win yeah the whole i i do like 19 19- 39 through 1945 for that reason because of all of these things that we don't have anymore that we don't understand these society norms of behavior and the idea that i'll make an example songs that i love from the era and you say you know i'll be home for christmas right and he's like god it's a beautiful song until you realize no what they're talking about is people were leaving and dying and never coming back and so all of these things are very interesting. But the shadow, my God, the shadow. Mm-hmm. So I want to start here. Um, because Joshua and I uh, have listened to a lot of shadows, and it's dear and dear to our hearts. Before we get into this episode, Tim told us before we listened. This is the- He said he hates the shadow. <laughs> I did not say that! <laughs> no, he said he hates the holodeck. <laughs> no, wait, that was me. It's Christmas. I hate- uh, this is the first episode of The Shadow... I've ever heard, and like having wow. just heard it, you know, in this last week. So I want to know what you thought it, of just the shadow, not this episode, the concept. It was so strange for me coming because I'm a big comic book geek growing up. So bringing that sort of superhero model, which I can't help but do it, even though the shadow is a precursor to comic book uh, icons and or tropes. Yeah. Uh, the thing that was so bizarre is this idea of this couple, uh, <laughs> Lamont Cranston and Margot Lane, seem like very nice people to travel with, <laughs> wonderful chatting, and then they have this third person that they always refer to in the third person that seems perfectly normal, like, why don't you become your other person? The shadow. <laughs> right. <laughs> so from a sort of modern perspective, those two are super scary because they seem <laughs> crazy. They are crazy. 
Like, the idea that he can cloud men's minds that well is I I've always wondered. Wow, we are so lucky he opted on the side of good. <laughs> you could have done anything. What well, see what strikes me so weird and scary is how straight and normal Lamont Cranston seems compared to oh, and I went to the Orient and I studied all these things and now I'm fine and I'm I'm, I'm well, back. It is Batman. It's yeah. almost the same story mm-hmm. as Batman. Now, last episode we talked about Orson Welles, and Orson Welles was the first shadow. And as you can imagine, his version of Lamont Cranston is very different. He doesn't seem as well-adjusted. He's <laughs> really tortured, and he's yeah. always really intense, and his voice wavers. He's a mago. We have to stop this terrible crime. And he sounds like he's about to snap every second he <laughs> it speaks. Was, it was it was a little like Paul Lind, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be a tremendous shadow? Yes, he would. Well, to give Orson some slack, and was it last week we did the Orson Welles thing? Yeah, yes. Uh, and we, you know, Orson's a weird dude. Uh, but give him some slack on his year or so of doing The Shadow. That was when it first came out of the Pulp magazine. And as you said in the beginning, The Shadow had an army of men. Mm-hmm. And he shot 45 guns. And he, the ability to cloud men's minds wasn't there. And it was a different character. And he was, in The Pulp, a lot more of a disturbed, struggling, more of a Batman-type hero. So. Mm-hmm. He evolved in the radio show into this cloak-wearing, clouding men's mind thing. So he was pulling from that as well, mm-hmm. you know, and that was his his take on it. But uh, Brett Morrison... He's a very well-adjusted shadow, and he, he, he chuckles, lot, he laughs a lot. It's a lot easier to deal with. Like, we'll skip to the very end of this, but at the very end when he and Margot just sort of laugh about how we thought we'd have so much more time. And it's like, you guys are going to need intensive therapy after what you've just encountered. You were just a human cow. <laughs> and you're okay. Well, that's... Yeah. and I But I do love that about infallible heroes. It's Which is why I like old-time radio. Well, yeah, reset button. Reset hit the button. end every time. Everything's good. We're all fine. Um, so, yeah, the... The thing about the shadow is what I was just bringing up is there are things about the pulp and the thing about the radio show that I wish they would have kept some of those things and gotten rid of others. I like the idea of him being able to cloud men's minds. I think that's cool. It's a cool power. I also like better that he had an army, a legion of people around mm-hmm. the world doing his bidding. And Margot Lane kind of drives me crazy because she's so strong and she's, you know, this strong woman and, oh, you're going to leave me here and I'm fine and I'm. In, in other episodes, just so you know, Tim, Margot helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. She's very involved. She's not she's not a helpless ingenue by any means. She is a partner in this thing. And that's, that's this episode. <laughs> right. In this episode she's not so much. But I would rather I'd rather it was she wasn't so involved in all of it. Like, yeah. It's so weird, you know. Like it's a, it's a weird setup. I, and, unless and she had the ability to cloud men's minds yeah. too. But something I read is that after the radio show had been going for a while, they introduced uh, Margot into the pulps, and that the hardcore uh, pulp <laughs> nerds at the time hated her. <laughs> I guess they got angry mail. <laughs> Get this Margot Lane woman out of our pulps. Yeah. So let's talk about this again. I knew this was going to be a problem. We can't talk for six hours about no, the show. We'll listen to other episodes of The Shadow, yeah. so let's just uh, talk about this story. We have brought this up in the last few weeks about distant howling, screaming noises that are that are that we can't see and how they scare us. We've had a number of episodes where there's something making a noise mm-hmm. that we can't see, and that's scary, especially when they're just having a conversation all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, 
and the thing happens, you're like, oh my god, what is that? That is a huge thing in this episode, the gibbering things. Um, I didn't find it that scary, the See, noise. I found it scary because it's not scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, because but gibbering is n- not intimidating. No. It's not scary. Can we define the word gibbering? Well, you heard it. <laughs> you listen to the gibbering things. So they were gibbering. gibbering. It's this little chattering noise that, that shouldn't it's only disturbing it because it's gibberish. It doesn't belong in that setting, and it's so it's me wrong. one drink from now. Yes, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Like I think it, the gibbering is re- it's really brilliant. It sounds inoffensive. It's out of place, thus making it disturbing. Because we we have that great uh, ride with the driver at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. where he's uh, again exposition heavy. Um, we, we talked about Alonzo Dean Cole, um, but he's. He puts a lot of exposition in the front, but one of the, I think, the really brilliant things he does is he has this driver give this these facts. Oh, you're right by the haunted woods, and oh, you'll hear the gibbering things, and you're like, what? (laughs) um, But he backtracks and, like, dismisses them all. So he both introduces the scary stuff and says, ah, don't worry about it, there's nothing going on, and he gives rational explanations. They're monkeys! And (laughs) leaving the great line, monkeys in New Hampshire? (laughs) Which I love. But I, I really like the narrative function of that drive. I like the line, um, Screeching Owl in New Hampshire. Like, we should all know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no like, screeching owls up here. <laughs> oh. um, answer this question for me. Well, first of all, Tim, did you find the gibbering part of that, that distant, disembodied sound or voice in the, that... that that thing that was used in this episode. That- it wasn't as compelling for me, in, in part because there had been so much tap dancing to prepare for it. Of like, there's screeching owls, there's monkeys, there, there's going to be some noises. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when there were noises, I was ready. Right. If you didn't tell me the noise. What about when we get to deformed baby footprints? Did that, that creep you out a little bit? <laughs> uh, no, because have you seen my yard? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Full of deformed baby footprints. <laughs> it's because he's, he's got deformed babies working for him. <laughs> the the build was nice of of strange footprints, bloody body, and yep. then crazy town. Yeah, and then the the description of the face with the piggy eyes and all pink flesh and toothless grin and yeah. I think this thing got scary after all that. Once Margot is pulled into the secret lair. See, that's interesting, though. This episode operates on two different styles of horror. It switches. Yep. One is sort of isolation horror and mystery and what is going on, what is in this woods with us. And then it is more of your classic, almost like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, this is like bloody, horror, gruesome monsters in the second half. Explain explain to me, because I, I listened and I couldn't... Uh, how does the shadow escape? He gets locked in the room... And then he comes back. Did, did this that was explain? fascinating to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, if I took notes, this would have been, would have been one of them. Um, <laughs> because this is, uh, uh, it, it struck me as like, this probably happens a lot, these sort of cliffhanger, even if it's not cliffhanger to a new episode, situations of how will he escape from this death trap? And I am so used to being disappointed by the explanations that this one, like, no, they they played totally fair. He had this rope with a hook on it, took the hook, put it over the pipe, had a little place he could cling to the ceiling. And he just, I love the image of the shadow just like pumping his legs and his <laughs> swing up I above all I missed all this. Things. Yeah, well, How did were I you miss? vacuuming again? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is a, 
Uh, All right, so I missed that. I'll go. Arthur Conan Doyle story that I, I read at one point that about this guy trapped in a cage with a lion. That it reminded me of that. Of it was how will he escape this lion? He got on top of the cage and basically went to the one spot the lion can't go. Yeah. And it's pretty easy. The guy, the guy should have thought of it. Yes, Professor Zergoff. Yeah, but he's too insane. <laughs> well, he's he wouldn't have had the the capacity to bind to the shadow's hands yeah. as he ought. Yeah, and I, I like the idea, too, where he says uh, we should be able to see the shadow now. It's an interesting uh, story. If you've listened to a lot of the shadows, a lot of times the villains don't have that sort of insight into his powers. Mm. Like that they're all mental, that if he's dead, it's like, oh, we can see his dead body now. Uh, his powers are no longer active. So I thought that was, uh, from a shadow nerd right. point of view, interesting. Oh, yeah, uh, here's another shadow nerd point of view interesting thing, and you brought it up in the uh, opening comments, Joshua, about... Uh, most shadow episodes deal with regular old daily crime or uh, crooked politicians or, you know, things of that nature and not the X-Files kind of nature this one has. This is very rare to step out of this. I'm going to draw an interesting comparison here that will will shock and uh, disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) The structure struck me as a lot like House of a Thousand Corpses. In that there's those two parts, like there's this isolation sort of horror, and then suddenly the bottom falls out and you're in, what I said, crazy town, like, I'm in a totally different story, Yeah, uh, and this is unthinkably awful in here. Yeah, it's just just horrible, and then when the the itinerant lumberjacks come out and they are, (laughs) I'm laughing, but they they have like legitimately, they sound so horrible, they're traumatized, they have post-traumatic stress, and they... Like we're not men anymore. We're cattle, and it's yeah. it's pretty gruesome. I think it's also interesting how the aunt, right, Margot's aunt, mm-hmm. how quickly she has accepted everything. Cause she <laughs> turns to Margot and says, "There's nothing you can do about it, dear. Yeah, <laughs> nothing you can do about it. Now get in there and give some blood." <laughs> <laughs> this is our life now. Yeah, she really makes us lumberjacks, lumberjacks. look like babies. <laughs> and it's fine when it's over. The lumberjacks they sing some songs. We, uh... it, it really was uh, disturbing in that way. Um, what do you think, Joshua? About what do you? Uh, this is my question: Is do, do you like the fact that it wasn't that run of the mill? Like a Green Hornet or a Lone Ranger. You know, that run-of-the-mill crime thing uh, that they went X-Files with this one. They don't do this a lot. No, they don't. I I love this. There are a handful of other Shadow episodes that get really crazy and touch on sci-fi and some more horror. And there's some really gruesome kind of serial killer they wouldn't call yeah. it that then type of stories. But this one is particularly horrific, and it it stuck with me from the first time I heard it. I heard it when I was older, you know, maybe in college, but I, it is not a fair representation of The Shadow. It's, it's not. It's, and that's what bugs me about it. Yeah. Like, why are you going there? Because like, I, I another, love it. It has, it has deformed baby monsters <laughs> and lumberjacks. <laughs> So I'm given to understand this is uh, common for the shadow, but I just wanted to bring it up of this strange dance of I must not kill him. He's going to get killed, but I can't. I have to leave him no. alive for justice. No, no as a matter of fact, this pretty, is pretty. Oh wow! Is this is what I was about to bring up. This is my my last point in my notes on this, and I wanted to bring this up. 
something else happens in this episode that doesn't normally happen. The shadow really doesn't win. He needs to save this man because the shadow won't kill him. You know, he's got that. So you're right. He has a, but uh, almost always. I've never seen an episode where the shadow failed. This we no, you're not going to kill him. And then he goes, well, there's too many of them. They're too weird and too crazy, and they get him. Yeah, mm. and that's not normal for the hero of the shadow always succeeding. I was waiting for him to cloud their minds, get them okay, and not to kill this guy. But no. he just gave up and went, well, go get him. Yeah, that was weird for me. It's very he different. Failed. It's, it's disturbing too. It's the fact that they are that. The, the lumberjacks and the farmhands are that distressed and that crazy after the fact that they just are out for blood. It's it's very unlike the And there I think it goes back to Alonzo Dean Cole. I, I do think we talked about The Witch's Tale a couple episodes back. And he after that, yeah. you, you can see a lot of this influence, both in, in the strong horror elements, and that is that, that sense of uh, justice, that eye for an eye type of story, which is a big part of uh-huh. horror. Um, you also see some of the other elements, and then he has that really uh, rickety uh, exposition describing what's going on, like mm-hmm. oh, when he takes Margot into his room. There's nothing for you to be afraid of in here. There's just these iron pipes that run along the wall, and then this big <laughs> pipe up here with the rope you will see dangling down, in which I will put these handcuffs on it. It's like he goes on and on. We talked about that a few episodes ago about narration. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a narrator in all-time radio of some sort, how awkward the uh, dialogue gets for the... Uh, the character to have to explain the room. Plus, and he he envisioned such a bizarre chamber of horrors. You couldn't. You, but it was terrible. Know, he to had to describe it. If yes, you... but I. But to hear it coming from the guy mm-hmm. sucked. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, I'm gonna explain my room to you. I want her to go. Yeah, I'm right here. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> I see it. Uh, I think that it was also disturbing to. I wasn't expecting this. The shadow doesn't fail, and he failed, and I found that weird. Did he fail, or did he just in that moment? You know, let the lumberjacks do his dirty work. Well, he states pretty specifically and has my job is yep. to not let this happen, unlike that would make me a criminal. Yeah, very different from the pulps where he'll just shoot you dead. Well, the pulps was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was a vigilante. Yeah. The precursor to Batman. Yeah. So, oh, I forgot what my other point was. Oh, the uh, Dean Cole, uh, the Cole mm-hmm. guy that wrote uh, Witch's Tale it went, that we listened to a few weeks ago, and he. Uh, the end of that, that's not a happy ending in the, in the devil doctor that we listen to. The, and then the devil doctor comes alive and kills him. Yep. And then the witch comes on and goes, there you have it. No happy ending. He's dead. Uh, this has that coal quality to it. Like, no, we're not going to have a happy ending. However, as you pointed out, and you pointed out, that when it was all done, it didn't end. They got in the car and went, ha, 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 ha. That was weird. So, yeah. <laughs> Who wants ice cream? Yeah, so they quickly reset the traditional shadow button. Yes. And, yeah, and they're off on their merry way. So I found that uh, interesting. Tim. Yes. I need you to listen to more shadow. But uh, So go okay. home and do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, did you find this compelling, scary, interesting? What did you think? Suspenseful. Uh, I liked it very much, particularly uh, the pacing and just how crazy it was willing to get. Um it's strange for me to to listen to the shadow uh, now with the superhero model. I, that it's, I, it can be hard for me to not think of how I, I should try to explain it better. This sort of metatextual way of looking at superheroes of that he's a crazy person, that he's a full on crazy person, right? 
Yeah, that, that sort of damaged good sort of yes. view of the modern dark superhero. Yes. Oh, he's not at all. He's very... He's infallible. <laughs> he's, he's that infallible, square-jawed, like Doc Savage. He's more in that vein. Well, And this is why I like old-time radio, and I like this era, is that I like my heroes infallible. And it's why uh, some of the... We keep saying Batman, but some of this... Well, let's say it's for me, it's Justice Society, me, which I, I... Drives me crazy. Grew up reading a lot of sure. old, old superhero things yeah. like that that are exactly that. These square-jawed, they're all the same character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Decent, good people who go out and do decent, good things. It's the Lone Ranger for me. That's where it all started. And I, I think there's a part of me that with everything we watch and see in entertainment and in real life, that I just want someone to not have some dark secret. I just want him to be the best human being ever lived. I, I like that it, for my escape. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My escape is, oh, well, I don't have to think, well, is he telling the truth? No, it's, it's Lamont Cranston. And I also want to bring It's a wealthy up. young man about town. Yes. <laughs> I also want to bring this up uh, that uh, as I listened to this in my youth, I had that moment where I knew the Lamont Cranston band before I'd ever listened to a shadow. And I made that connection like, oh, I see. They named themselves after that guy. Not that I ever bought a Lamont Cranston band album. No? I'm just trying to leave enough awkward pause here. (laughs) I wanted to really read on the podcast. (laughs) They are just staring at me. So you loved it. Oh, very much so, yes. And, of course, you love it. I love this to death. It is so crazy. And I think it is very much stands the test of time in that it is uh, just bloodthirsty. I mean, like it wouldn't be till the 21st century that you could actually show this on TV. Mm-hmm. Like, it would only be in recent years you could televise a story like this. Like, this that's what's interesting about radio. Yeah. Everyone talks about this. All this, this fond, old-time, old-timey, sweet, yeah, quaint. We're talking about infallible heroes, but these stories were just... Violent and yep. brutal. I uh, I love everything about this. This is my caveat on this one. Um, you could take this whole story and take the shadow out of it, and it wouldn't make a difference. It would still be a great story. Do you know what I mean? Well, like Professor shad- Zergoff would win. <laughs> <laughs> no, he could have some other guy oh, okay. get him. The lumberjacks would the get lumberjacks, out. Yeah. Someone else. I'm just saying that it, you didn't really need him to. Uh, I would have liked to seen his powers somehow been more at play to mm-hmm. solve this. But uh, and I also didn't like this moment where he said, "Now you stay here, Margo. I'm going to stay here. Yeah, you stay here. I'll be back in a long while." That's what he said to her. It's going to be a long time. But thanks. And then the screaming starts, and you know, yeah. right away, like, immediately, yeah, yeah, Zergoff comes in. I love the story. It's great. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. And uh, it's just so wildly bizarre. Yeah, uh, you, it's not boring no. ever. <laughs> For and even it, like a millisecond. And again, it was really interesting as a Shadow fan because it was I hadn't heard that one. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to veer so far from the traditional. So we have three deformed baby thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. And once again, thank you so much for uh, listening. If you'd like to learn more about this show or these uh, radio shows or things that we're doing or any other information, please go to ghoulishdelights.com. At ghoulishdelights.com. If you're not there already, you will find that information and a lot more. So please visit that website. So thanks again for listening. Until next time, remember... Look out!